Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of Relationship Radio. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing itstartswithattraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to itstartswithattraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. You have to draw a line in the sand. You have to build some boundaries. Maybe I'm not the right one for it. I'm to a point where I don't want to try anymore. You are hurting yourself. This is something we see regularly. What is someone in your life fighting for? And how can you be there for them? to our first show of Marriage Helper Live. I'm one of your co-hosts. My name is Kimberly Holmes, and I'm here with Dr. Joe Beam, who is the main host for Marriage Helper Live that we're doing here starting today. Yes, we're right here in our offices of the Marriage Helper in Middle Tennessee, and we look forward to doing this, what, every Monday? We're doing it every Monday, yes. Every Monday, right now, we're doing it noon Central Time. You can join us live which is super exciting. We're going to be answering questions. We're going to be giving feedback. And as the show progresses, there's no telling what we might add. But this is the time, the hour of our week that we're going to dedicate to listening to you, answering your questions, giving you support, giving you feedback. And so we're excited to do that. Some of the questions that have come in for this show have been on trust. How can I trust my spouse after something has happened? We have questions on intimacy. We have some questions on how can I get my spouse to listen to me and so many more. It's going to be a really great program. I'm excited. Good. So <laughs> we receive more questions than we can possibly answer, yes. as you would understand. And so we yes. have to kind of go through and, and pick out the ones we think are more universal. In other words, that more people can understand. So if we didn't get to your question on this program... Please be understanding and, and don't give up. Keep sending your questions. Hopefully we can get to it as we go through these things over the weeks to come. Absolutely, absolutely. And for those of you who may be joining and you don't know about Marriage Helper, Marriage Helper is the organization that Dr. Beam is the chairman and founder of. He's the chairman of the board and founded the organization. I work with the organization as well as CEO. And at Marriage Helper, we work with marriages in every possible situation that you can think of. And we have the gift and the amazing uh, just opportunity to watch these marriages be transformed through the workshops through we, that we do, through the coaching programs that we have, through some online courses that we have. And so when you're looking through this and you're thinking, well, why should I listen to you? The answer is because we have been doing this for over 20 years. Dr. Beam has been doing this for so much of his life. And of the over 250,000 people who have gone through courses that you have created, um, we have seen so many couples in the craziest, worst, most hopeless of situations be transformed and their marriages saved. It's absolutely astounding. Yes, so the principles that we'll talk about on this program mm -hmm. can vary about anything including pre-engagement, all the way to our marriages in crisis, to what do I do now that my spouse has filed for divorce, and anything and everything in between those things. 
Absolutely. So let's get started on the first question that we have for today's program. The first question, this person says, how can I get my spouse to listen to my wants and needs in fixing our marriage, even when he is still angry with me and he doesn't want to talk to me? Hmm. I think that sometimes all of us want things to happen a lot faster than they will happen. Hmm. For example, when this a person says, okay, I want my husband to listen to me. I get that. And in any good relationship, we really want that to occur. But then she goes ahead and gives us the information that he's still angry and he's still upset. Well, the first step then is not, believe it or not, to get him to listen to you. And I know you want that. We understand that. And that certainly should come at some point. But that's not step one. Step one is to help him deal with his anger, the fact that he's upset with you. Now, how do you do that? Understand that anger is always based on pain. When you see somebody angry, it's because they're hurting about something. Now, obviously, when we have a written question, there's no way to know what kind of pain he's dealing with. I mean, is it the pain of something that you did that hurt him deeply? Is it the pain of the fact that maybe he was involved with somebody else? He's ended that, trying to put the marriage back together, but still grieving or mourning that relationship that he gave up to come back to the marriage. In other words, I don't know what pain you're talking about, but I do know this. If he's still upset and he's still angry, then there's pain there. Mm -hmm. Now, if the pain is toward you, in other words, something that you have done, like maybe you had the affair or, or you gamble away all your money, I mean, I'm making up things here because I don't know the story, then the first thing is to make sure that you have stopped whatever it is that caused the pain. Don't do that anymore. So, for example, if you were controlling or dominating and he just had it up to here and can't take it anymore, then you've got to stop doing that. So step one is whatever you have done, if anything, has to stop. Number two, you demonstrate that. It doesn't help just to tell him, you know, I'm not doing that anymore. It's okay to tell him, but it doesn't prove anything. You have to demonstrate it by the way you live. And then you have to really try to understand. That means you need to listen. Now, if he's angry and upset, he may not be talking, or he may be talking a whole lot. Either way, you try to understand. And if he does talk, don't defend yourself. Don't try to justify. Don't try to explain. Just as best you can, try to understand what he feels. Now, validate his feelings, but don't validate anything he says about you that isn't true. For example, don't accept blame for things you didn't really do, because that doesn't help anything. But you can say things such as, I, I can say how you feel that way. I think I would see it that way as well. Visualize getting on his side of the table, where that rather than being across the table and then the antagonist, you're right beside him. You're the partner who's listening and trying to understand. And as time helps that anger subside and the relationship gets closer to normal, that's when you can start expressing your needs. Honey, this is something I need from you. But that's really premature right now. If he's angry, deal with that first. Mm -hmm. That's so good because a lot of times when we're in situations like this, when we're the spouse who is wanting the, our marriage to get back to normal as quick as possible, we want it to change overnight. Yeah, and that's, that's human nature. It is human nature. And so there's nothing right now that you can do or say that's going to change his anger overnight. This is a process. And so what Dr. Beam, may I call you Joe? Yes, please call me Joe. <laughs> I get that privilege. So what Joe is saying here 
is first you really have to just take a step back, look at the situation, start listening to him. It always, always, I'm going to say always, you might disagree with that, always behooves us to want to listen more than we want to talk. Listening to our spouse, what they're what they're wanting, what their needs are, what they're going through, as opposed to wanting them to listen to us. That should be the goal. Mm -hmm. And over time, hopefully that becomes fairly even. Yes. Over time. Right. But if he's upset and angry, it's going to be more you listening at this point. Right. Absolutely. Great place to start. So the next question we have, this one's a bit lengthier, but here we go. My wife and I have had sex twice in the last five years. Last time was about two to three years ago. Disclosure. She is hurt by the fact that a few, about 10 or 15 years ago, she found pornography on my internet history. I know that hurt her, and I have apologized, asked for forgiveness, prayed about it. There is something that happened a long time ago. This is something that happened a long time ago. Um, There's stuff that she has done as well, but I've forgiven her of of what she has done, and it's not a barrier for me to pursue her romantically. The Bible speaks about this, devote yourselves to prayer for a season, but she doesn't respond well to me using scripture to try and get her to do something she doesn't want to do. And it often, she sees it as manipulation. I see it as an intentional intentional unwillingness to meet an important need, sort of like manipulation on her part. I know accusations in part will not bring about a solution, and I know that God wants us to enjoy intimacy, including physical, Mm -hmm. as a married couple, and Mm -hmm. that this is a gift to both of us as we seek to put God first, but we are very stuck. She told me that she will let me know when she's ready, but it starts getting a little like scorekeeping at some point. Mm -hmm. I try and meet her needs so that she will meet my needs, but she keeps playing the former sin card. First of all, I'm very sorry for your situation. Now, this is rather lengthy, so let me break it down if I may. Okay. You say 10 or 15 years ago uh, that she was hurt because of the fact that she found that you were looking at porn. Now, I can understand the hurt. One of the things that uh, occur many times with women, if they find out that their husbands are looking at pornography, is that they begin to compare themselves to those other women. Mm. Um, One woman phrased it to me this way once. She said, I wish... I could have plastic surgery from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, so maybe my husband will want to look at me rather than those women on the internet. In other words, it's a self-esteem killer. Even, interestingly, if they start off watching the porn together, it winds up being a self-esteem killer. So I can understand the hurt. But hurting is not the same as punishing you years later. Now, how long did they say, Kimberly, since they've had sex at all? Two or three years? Two to three years since the last time. Two to three years ago. Mm So punishing you by saying, okay, we're not having any sex at all, seems to be an extreme overreaction to the hurt. I mean, you understand that she was hurt, and I'm assuming, I'm assuming that you acknowledge the fact that she was hurt. If not, it's not too late to say, you know, I've been thinking about it, and and I've come to understand how you feel about having found that porn, that it, it made it appear that I preferred them over you, and I'm certainly sorry that that, that happened and that, that I hurt you that way. Or just ask her even more, can you help me understand more about what you felt? May not be the wisest thing to ask her that now 15 years later, but at least on occasion to say, on one occasion, to say, I've been thinking about it, I understand the pain. But that pain, in my estimation, does not justify the fact that she doesn't want to be sexual with you now. 
Now you refer to a passage. 1 Corinthians 7 verses 2 through 5 is the passage that he's referring to. Um, it just so happens my undergraduate degree is in Bible. <laughs> my, my PhD degree, my doctorate degree from the University of Sydney was earned by studying the causes of marital satisfaction and sexual satisfaction and the correlations between marital satisfaction and sexual satisfaction. So I do have a fair amount of Bible knowledge because of my undergrad degree and my graduate degree, my doctorate of courses, including involving marital satisfaction. So I've studied a lot about what you're asking me about. Mm -hmm. So in that passage, it says that uh, to avoid immorality, I'm paraphrasing it now, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband and each should fulfill the other sexually. The idea being that if you're married and your spouse is not being sexual with you, what do you do with that sex drive? And it says that you fulfill each other and if you don't, is to give yourselves to prayer for a time, meaning this doesn't go on forever, so that you will not be tempted because of your lack of self-control. So the passage you're referring to actually is a Bible passage referring to the situation and it is directly applicable to your wife. But what you just said was, if I show it to her, it's manipulation on her part. I can understand how a woman would feel that, yet in this particular situation, I think, understand, I'm not God, I'm giving my opinion, I think the manipulation really is on her side. You say, what do you mean? To continue to refuse having sex with you for something that happened a decade ago, and the fact that you haven't made love to each other in two to three years, this appears to me to be a convenient card to play. Now, if it's not, if there's something else going on there, I still don't think this is the key. It's just what she's using to keep from dealing with whatever it is. So either, either this is the card she plays because she just doesn't want to have sex with you, or there's some reason that she doesn't want to have sex, and this is the card she plays to keep it from happening. I don't think the passage, in other words, is going to fix your problem. You say, what is? Discovering why. What is the real reason that your wife doesn't want to make love to you? Now, unfortunately, I'm not sure that you can discover this just, just between the two of you. Because if over a decade you haven't figured that out, it's not highly likely that you're going to figure it out by trying to talk about it now. Possible? Anything's possible. But this is the kind of thing that may require a therapist or counselor or require dealing with one of our coaches. And Kimberly will tell you about our coaches in a few minutes if you'd like to know more about that. Somebody with whom your wife can feel comfortable enough, um, at ease enough to be vulnerable to say, this is why I really don't want to make love to my husband. Is it because the relationship is really, really bad? If so, then that needs to be taken care of. Is it because of the fact that she has come out of a sexual inhibition or hang up? If so, then somebody needs to help her discover that. Is she just wanting to punish you for the rest of your life because she's that mad from way back then? If so, then somebody needs to help her figure that out as well. So again, short answer, the passage is not going to fix it, even though it directly applies to your situation. In my opinion, what's going to happen, have to happen here is either you helping her, which I don't think is going to work, but it could, or somebody else helping her is going to have to help her figure through, think through, understand why is it you don't want to make love to this man? What's the real reason? And by the way, if you try to do it on your own, or if you try it with some counselor who isn't very skilled with this, the first reason she gives is probably not going to be the reason. 
is going to be the subterfuge. It's going to be what she's been telling herself for a while to keep from dealing with what the true issue is. So it may take a little digging to find out what that is, but until you do, I don't think you're going to solve this. It's not just about the porn, although it may have triggered it. There's something else going on here. Mm -hmm. A lot of situations that we talk about, especially at Marriage Helper, we give foundational principles that work in majority of situations. But there's always, if you're going to think of it in percentages, maybe 80% of what you find in our articles through stuff like this and our podcast will help you with that first 80%. But it's that last 20% that's very situational to you. Mm -hmm. And it's in those specific details that we can't get in 180 words, that we can't, you can't tell us just in a quick period of time and we can't fix. And that's where the value of coaching does come in. And so one of the things we have found over the past many years that we've been doing this at Marriage Helper is that there are some very good counselors out there there's also some counselors who end up, how can I put it lightly? <laughs> Causing more trouble. <laughs> Causing more trouble than they're doing good. And so when we started our coaching program here at Marriage Helper about two or three years ago now, um, we really did it just as for people who had gone through our workshop and were needing some aftercare. But as it's grown, there's people who they've, they haven't come to our workshop. That's not where they are. They can't get their spouse to come, whatever the issue might be but they've started with coaching. And that coaching, first of all, our coaches are amazing. All of them are trained by us. They're hand-picked by us. They're, you're not gonna become a marriage helper coach unless you meet our expectations, which are incredibly high. Um, it's, it's very selective. And they go through our training, are only allowed to use the material that we provide for them and approve of them because we have an amazing success rate in what we do. Mm -hmm. And so our coaches are awesome. And if that's a place where you are like this couple, where maybe you've gotten 80% there, maybe you haven't even gotten that far, you've hit a wall, but maybe you need that specific help for the rest of it, our coaching program is amazing. And I, I wouldn't say that unless I 100% agreed with it. I was trained um, in my master's degree. I was trained as a marriage and family therapist. So I understand how therapy and counseling works. And I understand how our coaching works. And our coaching is extremely effective. And we do a lot of good with it. So if that's something you're interested in, uh, shameless plug, because it's awesome and it's life-changing. We've seen so many people change, so many marriages made even better through our coaching. You can always give us a call. I'm sure we'll have the number of the website up at some point, but you can call us anywhere in the world with our toll-free number, which is 866-903-0990. And I'll sure, I'm sure we'll repeat that throughout, but we'd love to get you connected with one of our coaches. Um, anything we can do, that's about our coaching. Yeah, if you decide to see a counselor or therapist, just check them out first. Mm -hmm. Counselors and therapists tend to be really good if they're trained well and if they're good at what they do. Like, like every profession on the planet, some people are better at it than others. Some are really good, some are mediocre, and some are not good at all. Mm -hmm. and if you find a good counselor, they tend to be really, really good at helping people with individual issues. So, for example, if she has mm -hmm. a specific sexual hang-up, like from childhood, mm -hmm. that's where the counselors really shine. If it has to do with your relationship, some of them are outstanding in helping you with that, and some aren't. 
if it has to do with a relationship or whatever. And if you call for one of our coaches, I would if she's willing to talk to one of our coaches, I would suggest one of our female coaches for her based on this issue. Finally, let me say this. It must be getting difficult for you to deal with your sexual drive in the sense that you haven't had sex in two or three years. I wonder, I just can't help but wonder, I'm not saying this, I don't know this for a fact at all, if somehow she is thinking you'll go back to the porn because of your sex drive to find some kind of relief. Could that be a test to see if you're really going to be faithful to her no matter what? Possible. Could that be that she wants you to do that so she can be madder at you from now on? That's also possible. All I'm saying is, please find some way to deal with this, even if you have to look her in the eye and say, I can't live like this. We're going to have to have some help and then get that help. Because if you live a celibate lifestyle and you don't want to live a celibate lifestyle, somewhere, somehow, it's going to bite you. I mean, bad things are going to happen because you can only control this so long. So please don't prolong this. Mm. Please don't put it out into the future somewhere because that kind of temptation for sexual fulfillment can be overpowering. I'm referring you back to that same passage you referred to. It said you got to fix it so you'll not be tempted because of your lack of self-control. So I urge you again, look her in the eye and say, this is something we have to deal with. And, and get whatever help you need to get, please. That's good. Thank you, Joe. The next question we have, this woman says, I wanted to know, how do I trust my husband again? How do I help him build trust? As we've stated many times, when we get a written question, we wonder about all the details behind it that would help us know how to answer the question. But of course, when you're writing, answer, writing questions and we're giving answers to it, it's just almost impossible to do that. So I have to speak in general terms here because I don't know what it is that he's done. I mean, did he gamble away the, the family retirement? Did he, uh, did he have an affair with somebody? Did, did he just tell a lot of lies? I mean, I don't know what he did. Was obviously. it porn like the issue before? Yeah, or was it the fact you got upset because he was watching pornography or something like that? Whatever the issue, if you're gonna help him rebuild your trust, and I'm, I'm assuming that's what you mean by the question, you really want him to help you want to help him rebuild your trust in him, then here's how you do that. First of all, try not to speak in terms of what he must do, but in terms of what you want. Now you're gonna actually set some must, but let me get to that in just a minute. Rather than saying, oh, let's just say then that uh, whatever he was doing took a lot of money. And so one way you can help rebuild trust is if you handle the money where you know where every, every dollar goes. Rather than saying, I can't trust you because of the fact that that costs a lot of money before and you're going to wind up spending money like that again, so I'm going to handle the money because you're not trustworthy, don't do it that way. Because if you do it that way, it's an attack. And what people do when they get attacked is they become defensive. They become resentful. Instead, say, I like this. I need some security. Now, you know that what you did before was expensive. And so one way I can get security is if I handle all the money. I'm not saying you're incompetent. I'm not saying you can't handle the money. I'm saying I need to do this for my security, and I want you to agree to it. Now you're thinking, well, what if he doesn't? Then you can go a step further and say, but I, if we're going to put this back together, if we're going to make this marriage work, I've got to have security in certain areas, and that's one of the areas where I have to have it. So I'm willing to listen to your proposal. I mean, we can compromise on this, but it's got to be something where I can feel comfortable that you're not out there doing that anymore. So it can have to do with money, it can have to do with location. For example, a couple of friends I know where that uh, 
she was doing a lot of things and they straightened it up, put the marriage back together. She just makes her cell phone available to him. Hey, you can see everybody I've talked to. You can look at the GPS and see where I've been. So ask for whatever it is that you need, but try not to ask for too much. Um, remember the lady that had said 50 different criteria? Yes. 50? <laughs> you can't do that. That doesn't work. Pick as few as you can. Two, three at the most. But these are the things that I'm asking of you, and I ask that we do this for a blank period of time. Yeah, and don't come across, this isn't your chance to get to control. No, no. And that is really a fine line because once we're presented this option of, well, now he's done this, and so therefore I can get him to do whatever, whatever I want. That's not the time for this. This, no. like Joe was saying, this is more of what do you need? What is necessary to rebuild the trust in this area? If it had nothing to do, if he didn't break your trust because of finances, then you shouldn't talk about the finances. Exactly. It's not relatable. It's not related to the issue. No, so for example, if it was the fact that you're offended because your family was looking at internet pornography, then, then you establish rules about that. Hey, let's put a keystroke logger on your computer and therefore it sends to me every keystroke that you do, every site that you visit, and I can see that. Uh, that helps create accountability for you and it gives security to me. Remember, you speak in terms of, I need this for me. If we're gonna have what we need, I need to be able to trust you again. Now again, I suggest you put a time limit on it. Now you may wind up doing it a lot longer, but don't start off with like, this is gonna be for the rest of your life because mm -hmm. people, oh, they, they react to that like, I'm gonna be in jail if you were. It's gonna be like I'm a child. Mm -hmm. hmm. Say for the next six months, and then let's evaluate it again then. You could even say for the next year, but I think six months works even better than that. And then we'll evaluate it at that point. What I'm asking you to do is to do this for me so that I can feel safe. There's your key word. I'm asking you to do this for me so I can feel safe in a relationship. Don't attack. Do it that way. Now figure it out, whatever is in your situation. No more than three, hopefully only a couple, maybe even just one. And you can do this. Just don't attack. Mm-hmm. And like the question we had earlier, if your spouse is going to be moving towards getting your trust back, then on your part, don't continue to hold it against them. Yes. So this is both of you moving forward at the same time. You don't get to, like the person earlier who said they're holding this card over me just with me watching, I had watched pornography, continue to move forward in forgiving. Don't, you don't want to keep holding it on, onto it moving forward. I agree. I agree. Absolutely. Well, Joe, real quick, we're going to cut to a quick video with one of our client relations reps named Mark. So we have a team of people here at Marriage Helper and what we love about what we do, maybe more than anything, is that we get to talk to you. We value human conversation. You won't find robots at Marriage Helper. Uh, we're real people. When we chat back with you, when we answer our phones, you can always contact us. And so Mark is on our team that is that their whole job, what they love about their job is talking to people just like you. And so here we have a quick video of Mark sharing an experience he's had with someone just like you that he's recently talked to. Take a look. Hi folks, Mark from Marriage Helper here and I'm with the Client Relations team. I want to just give you a success story that we have. We're very well known for our workshops. We've been doing those since 1999 
And there's been hundreds of thousands of couples who have used our material to go through and reconcile and restore their marriage and their family. But one story in particular definitely just touches me to the core. I, I talked to a young lady from Southern Middle Tennessee and she was just very pessimistic. She and her husband hasn't been getting along. I didn't know the whole story. Not everyone I talked to tells me the whole story. But I talked to them first, then a couple of weeks later, and a couple of weeks later. And next thing you know, she's calling me up saying, okay, we've got to come. This is our line in the sand. This is just the make it or break it. If we don't do this, then we're gonna lose our family, three children, our business because they're in business together and so as a result they came up to our workshop. As always after the workshop the attendees we send them an email saying how was it because we want to know. It's very important to us to gain this feedback. Well she emailed me back and I've kept it on my computer to this day. I print it out I hang it on my wall because it has been the absolute single most impactful response I've ever received personally as a as a client relations representative. It has just touched me in so many different ways and if you've talked to me on the phone you may have heard me say let me read this to you and this is what I read. It says Mark this was one of the most impactful and meaningful events in my life and I cannot express how much appreciation I have for you guys and what you do. This weekend turned around my marriage. That wasn't good enough, listen to this. After a six year affair and three years of not talking about it, I feel like we've been able to talk more and communicate about the deeper issues in our marriage this week more than we ever have in 13 years of marriage. I know God led us to this seminar and I hope that as we take steps in rebuilding our relationship that we can help others who are struggling as well. Thank you so much for all you guys did to make this weekend possible for us. It has truly been life-changing and I could not be happier. That's my favorite workshop response of all because I think of a family that was broken and broken for 13 years and not in communication and not together. And as a result of what Marriage Helper Incorporated does, all of us, a family is now restored. This is hope. That's hope that what I do matters. It's hope that you can have a story like this as well. All right, that was Mark, one of our awesome team members, talking about how we have been able to work with people and absolutely change and transform their lives. Absolutely love it. If you are in a situation where you need to talk to someone on our team, you want to know more about coaching, you want to know more about our workshops or anything else we offer, uh, our number again is 866-903-0990. There are people like Mark and many more of them who love being able to connect with you, love being able to talk with you, and we want to help however we can. All right, Joe, jumping right back into the next question here. This person says, I'm really struggling with getting intimacy back into my marriage. My husband had a short affair that I discovered and he stopped seeing the affair partner. My husband isn't, is not interested in spending time alone with me going on dates or anything like that. 
but we have been having sexual contact, but no kissing, hugging, or affection other than sex. He indicates that he doesn't feel the same, and the sex doesn't feel like it used to. I don't know what or if there is anything that I can do to change the intimacy. I'm afraid he will give up and not wait it out to see if the feelings will come back. Do you have any advice on how I can help restore the feelings other than being a safe place? When a person has an affair, and I'm going to assume now that the affair was more than just sex based on the fact that he's having trouble reconnecting with you emotionally. Uh, if it was just sex, the only thing I can think of immediately that would, uh, or the primary thing I should say, that I would think of immediately that would keep him from reconnecting with you would be if he felt guilty. Mm. So unless it's guilt that's keeping him from reconnecting with you, then in all likelihood, just everyone, um, as we often say, just reading a question, we don't know all the details, but I'm going to assume that meant that that short affair had some emotional connection to the other person. If that's the case, then ending that with her doesn't make those emotions disappear immediately. They, they dissipate, but it takes a little while to do. Now, I know you don't want to hear that. I, I know you want to think, well, as soon as that stopped, all those connections stopped. And if it were just a sexual affair, then basically that would be true. If it had any emotions involved with it, then you need to, well, you almost have to accept the fact that it goes off like this. Not like this, but like this. And I know that's painful to you. But as he's going through that transition, if indeed he had emotional connection with her, and again, you're not going to like what I'm about to say, but, but you understand that we have to tell you the reality of things. If we don't tell you the reality of things, then we're not doing you any good. And we know that sometimes reality hurts, okay? But we're not trying to hurt you. We're trying to give you the real information that will help you. If he had an emotional connection with her, this thing that we often talk about called limerence, L-I-M-E-R-E-N-C-E, if he had that with her, then the, the level of intensity of his sexual interaction with her was extremely high. Now, I know you don't like to hear that. So that it was, was not just the physical passion, not just a physical high, but a very strong emotional high. Now, getting that with you immediately is actually impossible because of the fact that he's got to get over that with her. Now, maybe the good news for you is if he had continued in that affair at some point, at some time, it wouldn't be like that with her anymore either. You understand? There's a thing called sexual habituation. Any relationship that's been going on for at least two years, people become habituated in their sexual acts with each other. Uh, that means sex can get pretty normal, even to the point a little bit boring. So he comes off the high, if you will, of an affair back to the normalcy of having sex with his spouse and and there is not a comparison between the two. Now that doesn't mean that she's a better lover than you, that doesn't mean that she's more important to you, it doesn't mean she's prettier than you, it doesn't mean any of that stuff. It means that he has a healing period to get past what he's just been in. And even if he stayed with her, he would have gotten past it. By the grace of God, he didn't. He stopped. He's back with you that the affair with her was short-lived. I'm so happy to hear that. But as part of the process of you putting it back together, it actually is advantageous that you're making love to him, even though right now it sends kissing and hugging and those kinds of stuff. Why? Because every time he orgasms, oxytocin, which is a very strong bonding chemical, is released into his body in two ways one into the autonomic nervous system and the other into his bloodstream as a hormone. It's a bonding chemical. 
Now, even though it doesn't feel like you're bonding at all right now, the fact that he's having an orgasm with you actually makes that happen. The fact that you have to touch each other to have intercourse with each other makes that happen. If you're doing other sexual things together, apparently not kissing, but other sexual things together, that's also producing some oxytocin, so it's actually helping go in the right direction. But there's no way right now to match the intensity of what he had, and you can't fabricate it. But there is something you can do that can help some, and that is take the normalcy out of the sexual interaction you're having with your husband. I don't mean anything bizarre. I don't mean anything terrible. I mean, if you can become a little bit more creative, a little less inhibited if you have any inhibitions at all. For example, if you buy some exotic new nightwear or, or decide to uh, ambush him when he walks in the house some evening, something just a little out of the ordinary, something just a little unusual, will that instantly make all those things come back? No, not at all. And should you do this every time? No, not at all. And if you do it once and he reacts negatively to it, don't do it again. But what I'm saying is change up what you used to do. Add something to it that he will accept. You try to make it different so that it's not triggering old memories, but where it's triggering new memories, like this is pretty sexually exciting. Does it mean he'll instantly feel all those great emotions for you again? No, but he will feel some emotions with the excitement. Um, and believe it or not, the more sexually aroused you become in these encounters, the more sexually aroused he'll become. It's called an empathic sexual response. You say, why does that matter? Because the more aroused he becomes sexually, the more it touches on his emotions. It doesn't create intimacy in the sense that you want it immediately, but it becomes a way to start reaching the intimacy that you want. Now, you could say, I don't want to do any of that. He's been having sex with another woman. Leave me out, and that would be your right. But what I hear you saying is, you actually want to start rekindling the intimacy, okay? You have a way to do it in the fact that you're making love to each other. So if you heard what I said, begin to make it a little bit unusual, a little bit different, especially different from things you used to do before the affair occurred. Not every time, did you hear that? And again, I want to repeat this, if he reacts negatively, stop it altogether. But by doing that, you can begin to open up new avenues of communication so that you can actually entice him into kissing. You say, what do you mean? If you start doing something unusual in the sexual encounters that really, you get turned on, remember the empathic sexual response, and he begins to get turned on more because of the empathic sexual response, then at some point you can actually kiss him during that and he'll respond. Just take it a step at a time. Don't expect too much too soon. Now, the other ways to rebuild intimacy, of course, have nothing to do with sex at all. When he's talking, listen to him. Try to understand. Allow, allow yourself to become his best friend and that you can be his confidant about anything. Now, that's something you do outside the bedroom, but you can actually help that occur by what you do inside the bedroom. That's good. And if you're listening to that question and you think, limerence? <laughs> what is that? We have a ton of other videos on our YouTube channel. You can search about limerence. You'll find more there, or you can go to our website at marichelper.com. Look for limerence. We have a ton of information about it. Joe has done so much research, so much in that, and it's been so helpful for a lot of people who've experienced affairs or their marriage has been affected by an affair.
So this next question, I'm sure many of you perhaps are familiar with a popular book that talks about that there's five love languages that people have. Mm-hmm. One of my biggest things, every time I hear the five love languages and they say to take the test, is I've always said, well, I don't want to just choose the two. I want to get all five of them. <laughs> Why should I have to choose my top two love languages? I want them all. But here's what the person's question is. They said, how do I get my husband to speak my love language? He feels that I'm trying to make him something he's not when I indicate my needs in our relationship. I have to confess, I've never read the book. <laughs> I, have never I haven't read. either. I just <laughs> know what the five of them are. Okay, what are they? They are physical touch, mm-hmm. quality time, mm-hmm. acts of service, mm-hmm. words of affirmation, mm-hmm. and gifts, mm-hmm. gift giving. And it's all supposed to fit within those five? Yeah, exactly. So... We could probably do a whole part right now just about how there's more than that that we need. I mean, it may be an absolutely awesome book, but the first thing I'd say is I think there's a heck of a lot more than just those five. And why do I have to choose words of affirmation over gifts? I like them both. So let's just take your question and change it a little bit. What I'm hearing you say is there are some things I want him to do for me. Mm -hmm. And he's saying, but you're trying to make me be somebody that I'm not. Mm-hmm. So let's just leave it out of the love languages and yep. just put it down to that. Okay. Be careful that you actually aren't trying to make him be something that he's not. For example, if your husband's uh, one of these guys who's not very talkative, you know, he'll talk a little bit but not a lot. I'm thinking of a buddy of mine from years ago right now that if he said six words, it was a major conversation. But his wife, his wife was one of those personalities that just loved to talk and talk a lot. And so often he would just sit there while she just talked and talked and talked. And then she'd look at him like, your turn, because I need you to say these things. And he'd say like three words. It was not his nature to do so. But if you're saying, well, wait a minute, I need to hear those words. Okay. Then without trying to make him into somebody that he's not, because nobody wants that. Nobody wants to be that I've got to fit your criteria to be loved, whatever that criteria might be. I mean, you have to understand that I think the way I think, feel the way I feel, I believe the way I believe, I act the way I act. Please don't try to make me meet your criteria. Now, it doesn't mean then that, okay, there's no fixing this. There is, as long as you are willing to do some compromising. Say, so what do you mean? Number one, figure out what really is important to you at the core. Now, this words of affirmation. I'm not exactly sure how that's defined or described in the book, but let's just take that one for a minute. Well, take one even better, physical touch. I can illustrate that with Alice and me. Uh, my wife Alice came from a home where they hug for everything. I mean, they're just a hugging bunch of people. I came from a home where that um, my family hardly hugged for anything at all. As a matter of fact, I think maybe the last time my mother hugged me, I was like 12. And it's not because she doesn't love me. We just want a touchy-feely family. And so Alice and I got together, married each other, and she's like, huggy, huggy. <laughs> and my response was, That's not like I am. That's not who I am. Now, there had to be a compromise in between those two things. Why? Because saying that's not who I am didn't justify my not giving her what she needed. But at the same time, she needed to understand that I'm not going to be luggy, huggy, touchy every minute of every day. So her core was, give me enough physical touch where I feel secure and safe. My core was, I'm happy to do that as long as you understand and accept the fact that I'm not like that all the time. And so working from our core 
we worked out a compromise. And I actually asked her, teach me to do what it is you want me to do, and then accept the fact that I'll do it as you've taught me, but it's not going to be as much as you wanted. Now, you, if you start working out that kind of compromise, the next thing you do then is you start rewarding when you get what you want. You say, what? It's Behavior Modification 101. It's way back to the, what you, if you went to the college, back to the first psychology class you had, or maybe a little later in the psychology, but Behavior Mod 101. You say, what's that? Whenever the other person does what you want, reward it. That's just it. Reward it. And so if you're wanting to be touched more, when he does touch you, give him some kind of reward. You say, what? You have to figure out what it is that he wants. And you give him that. So let's say he likes to have his ego stroked a little bit when he hugs you. It's like, man, there's nobody on earth that can hug like you do. Whatever it is that's important to him, that's what you give him back. Now, if you do that, you actually get more of the behavior because of the fact that he enjoys doing it because it did something for him as well. You say, but I don't want to train him like a seal. <laughs> we all train each other one way or the other, believe it or not. We know what the other person reacts positively to and what the other person reacts negatively to. So whatever it is that you want, first try to reach the compromise. Explain it to him, not in terms of you need to do this. People react badly to that, but in terms of here's something I need you to do for me. I'm not asking you to become a different person. I'm not asking you to do it all the time. I'm just saying here's some things I need. Let's talk about how you can do that at times that feel comfortable and good to you. Then establish that. And then whenever he does it, knowing what's important to him, whatever it might be, reward him somehow. For example, and I'll quit. I'm rambling a little now, but let's say his favorite thing is homemade peach pie, the way they made it back in the old days. I mean, where it was a pound of peaches, a pound of butter, a pound of sugar, and a pound of flour. Which is literally my grandmother's recipe. Which is literally <laughs> your her grandmother's recipe. Then, then when he does something like you really want, next meal, you got that great peach, peach pie there for him. And he says, is there a special occasion? You say, nope. I just love the way you've been loving me lately. That's the way you encourage the behavior. Encourage the behavior. First the compromise, then the reward. Now, I'm giving you just the principle. And as Kimberly often points out, we're giving you the 80%, mm -hmm. but... But there's the extra 20% that is situationally specific. And so... If that's where you are, where you're saying, I get that in principle, but I still can't figure out how to apply it to my specific situation because of whatever reason, then that is why we have our coaches who can work with you one-on-one -on -one or as a couple. And wherever you are in the world, they do it by phone. Um, people from Dubai to Germany to Canada to Hawaii, I mean, our, our clients are international. So we can help you with that extra 20% because you really don't, what you don't want to do is get it wrong. You don't want to just hear it and interpret it maybe in a way that we didn't mean it and then end up implementing something that's going to make things worse than better. Now we try, and I think we do a great job, of explaining things to where you're not going to do that, but there's still such value in a non-biased third-party person who's going to be supportive, who's going to walk you through this, both of you or just you as an individual, and it's absolutely priceless. So that's mm -hmm. what our coaching is for. We'd love to have you if that's something you're looking for. Mm -hmm. So maybe what you do with what I just talked about is sit down and make a list. This is the way I want to demonstrate it. Make a list of, this is what he really wants. Start off with a list. Try it on your own. If it works great, you don't need to call us for those coaching. If you try and it's not working, 
We've got people that'll help you with it. Yeah. In other words, we don't think we have to tell you everything to do in life. We know that you have wisdom and you have insight, but sometimes you just get stuck. You try it and it's not working. But first of all, try it on your own. And if you can make that work, great. Send us an email and tell us that it did. As a matter of fact, I'd love to start reading on this program emails from people who say, hey, I heard you guys suggest blank. Yeah. I did this. Let me tell you what happened. We'd love to share some of those things. Yeah. But if it doesn't, call us. We'll help you with it. Yeah. But if it does, let us hear about it. And, you know, this is a great time to let you know that if you have something you want to submit, whether it's a question or it's a testimony or if it's something you've tried that you've learned here that you want to share with us and you want us to be able to share, we're going to do some really cool stuff with that, with things that we get that, that we'll talk about at a later show. But you can email us. There's a special email just for all of you, and that's askjoe, A-S-K-J-O-E, at marriagehelper.com. You can send in those questions, those testimonies, those just success, small victories. We want to celebrate those small victories with you as well and encourage others with it. If you have been married longer than a minute, then you know that there (laughs) are hard times in marriage and there's great times in marriage. And it's so rewarding when you are able to share even the smallest of victories with people who are going to celebrate with you because marriage is hard. But doing it together, having a community of people who are going to support you in it makes a huge difference. So ask Joe, A-S-K-J-O-E, at marriagehelper.com. We'd love to get that stuff. Use them for our upcoming shows. Excellent. That sounds good to me, and we'd love to hear from you. Absolutely. All right, let's do a final question here. Okay. We have a couple more minutes. It goes, I was told of my wife's affair in January of 2017. And it had been going on since November of 2016, but turned physical in January, and quite quickly, it became obvious that staying in the marital home was not an option for my children and me, and with my wife's reluctance to move out, and with the atmosphere getting more and more toxic, I moved into a new home in February 2017. I have since then been working every day on my pies, which... Dr. Beam will explain in just a minute, and continue to be a safe place for her to vent off about anything except the affair. I want to save my marriage, but I am now in limbo as there seems to be a normality to our lives. Once I moved out of our home, the lover moved in and is now encamped in my home with my wife and our children, and they seem to be living the life that we once were. We, my wife and I, are in contact constantly due to handovers with the children, but I feel I'm quickly becoming her best friend. How can I progress this once again and get her to see me as her husband and not her best friend? Uh, This is a very tough situation. Mm -hmm. I I never want to uh, chastise or beat up people for what they've already done. So please don't hear what I'm about to say in terms of you did all the wrong things. But for all those others, in addition to the person who asked this question who are out there, um, my first suggestion, and again, I realize this is too late for you, but let me do it for other people. My first suggestion is do not move out of the home, Uh, particularly if you're the male, but either one of you. Believe it or not, based on what I, I, I read, you understand I'm not an attorney. I have no legal training whatsoever. And... And I also understand that laws are different by state and even within a state can differ by county, by city, those kinds of things like that. So I'm not trying to give you legal advice. But based on what I read online, 
if you, particularly the husband, if you move out of the home, there's certain things that you give up when it comes to if the marriage winds up ending. Now, again, I'm not to be not trying to beat up the guy who wrote this question. This is for everybody else out there. Uh, he said, I felt like I had to move out for the sake of my, my children and so forth and so on. And I certainly don't know his situation. And if I'd known it, I might have been saying, boy, I get it. I think I'd do the same thing. But in general, we say, not a good idea. You stay in the home. And you might be saying, okay, what if my, my spouse is telling me to leave? Well, if they get whatever legalese they need to get to make you leave, that's one thing. But just saying, I want you out of the house, doesn't mean that you have to go. There's another thing about that. When you, when you finally separate, if you do, then everything seems to get a little better immediately for both sides, typically. You say, why? Because of the fact that but whatever tension existed because of the problem diminishes if you're not having to see each other and live in the same house. So if you live down, if you move down the street to an apartment or across town to an apartment or whatever, go back and move in with mom and dad, whatever you do, then the fact that you're not together, not facing each other every day, reduces that tension, which makes things better, in a sense. You haven't really fixed anything. It's just less tense. It's less problematic. And therefore, some people at that point are like, why should I try to fix this thing? Because I've already felt some relief just by separating, so why go through all the misery of trying to, and the agony of trying to put this back together the right way? So we generally recommend that you separate only if somebody's in jeopardy. For example, if, if you're being beaten, if your life's being threatened, if your kids are being threatened in some fashion, then getting apart from each other makes all the sense in the world because you've got to make sure that everybody's safe, either physically safe, emotionally safe, you know, that kind of thing. Who will recommend no recommendation otherwise? Okay, that doesn't answer any of his question, and I'm sorry if that sounds like it, I'm getting on to you. I just want to give that general advice out there for people. And as Kimberly often says, um, what we teach, you can get 80% of what you need to do. Sometimes the 20% for your specifics, you have to figure out for yourself. All right. Now, in this situation, you have moved out. You're still being friendly with your wife. You're still communicating with each other. But the lover has moved into the house. He has assumed your position. I think you phrase it as, it's as if he's assumed your position. It sounds like it's more than as if. It sounds like he really has assumed your position. And the fact that you're being friendly with your wife in that situation, here's the pro to that and here's the con to that. The pro to that is, okay, at least you're having communication, so potentially you have a way to fix this thing because you're still talking to each other. But the con to that in your situation is, but she's living with the guy in your home with your children, which makes it not highly likely that having communication with you is going to make this any better. In other words, how is communicating with you, the fact that you're friendly and talk to each other as you swap kids out and et cetera, how is that going to make any difference in what she's got going for her right there? I've got my home, I've got my kids, I've got my lover, I've got everything I want. Even my husband's not giving me trouble. Why should I do anything different? Now, I can't tell you what to do with your life. You have to make your own decisions. We don't have to live with the consequences of what you do. Therefore, we will not tell you what to do. We'll teach you the principles, but you've got to make your own decisions. But in my opinion, based on what you're describing here, of course, I don't know anything else about it except what you've described here. But based on what you've described here, this situation is pretty bad. And if it were I, I'd go ahead and see an attorney. 
I tell the attorney everything. My wife had the affair. I'm the one who moved out. Now the affair partner's moved in. What can I do? And it may be, again, I'm not telling what to do. I'm certainly not an attorney, and, and it's not my right to tell you what to do. But the attorney may give you the advice of, well, in this situation, the only way that anything's going to change in any shape, fashion, or form is if you go ahead and start legal action against your wife. I don't know what the laws are where you live. I don't know whether the law will make him leave that home or not, as long as you guys are still married. I don't know if that will happen. If so, your attorney can tell you. I don't know if what you'll have to do is go ahead and start divorce proceedings. I don't know what you do next. But I'm telling you that the situation that you're in, at least from what you've described, does not appear to me to be fixable if you allow it to continue as it is now. now again, I'm not trying to get on to you for what you've done so far. You did the best you know how to do. But I think your decisions thus far have not worked to your advantage. Therefore, get the right kind of legal help to make sure that the decisions you make from this point on are to your advantage. Yeah, it is a, that is a tricky situation. One of those where a coach would be helpful, for sure. A coach can help you think through the way you're interacting with your wife. Right. Our coaches, our coaches certainly aren't going to help you with anything having to do with legalese. No. Because we, that's not who and what we are. Mm -hmm. But if, if you want to ask uh, or work with one of our coaches about, this is how I'm interacting with my wife, how can I do that better, uh, how can I make sure I'm not messing up things, then yeah, call and, and, and get an appointment with one of our coaches who can help you with that. They help you with the relationship. And they can also help you think through the relationship with your children. But they won't give you any kind of counsel or advice when it comes mm -hmm. to legality, just as I myself will not either. Right. And even if you're at a place where you need to work on yourself individually to get to a place where you're strong again, your self-esteem comes back. We see a lot that when there's a situation like this where one spouse wants out and the more one spouse wants out, the more it can hurt the self-esteem, the, the confidence, the overall attitude of the person who's wanting to save the marriage. We right. can help you with that too. Right. Now, if it were I, and we're talking to my attorney, the first thing I'd be saying is, is there any way to get that man out of my house? And if there is, that's what I'd go for. And if you're thinking, well, that's really going to tick her off and she's going to be furious at me, the answer to that is in all likelihood she will be. 